0: That was a really good one-liner, just in case you were wondering. Uh, Every single one of us have dozens of relationships that we're connected in. And some of those are husband and wife relationships. Some of those are friend-to-friend relationships. Other relationships are uh, between our families. There are co-working relationships. There are neighbor relationships. There are relationships between parents and kids. Sometimes there's not much of a relationship there, but you know, you try to survive under the same house without killing the other person. But the key to all of these relationships is are you cultivating them? Are you cultivating them? Are you investing in them? Are you growing the key relationships in your life? You know, in my life, I've never known anyone who failed at relationships who was isolated, lonely, unconnected, and had no deep friendships. I've never met anyone who failed at relationships, who had a meaningful and a joy-filled life. Not a single person I've ever met. On the other hand, I've never met anyone who succeeded at relationships, who had great friends, who were devoted to their family, who mastered the art of giving and receiving love. I've never met anyone who's ever succeeded at relationships who went through life feeling insignificant and unhappy. Not a single one. And you know what? It never mattered how much money they made. It really didn't. You see, friends, being in meaningful community with other human beings is why you were made. And it gives us a sense of life-giving in our lives and the lives around us, and I mean this is life-giving in the literal sense. There was a recent study by a Harvard social scientist who found that most isolated people were three times more likely to die than people who were connectionally related with other folks. This is what he discovered. He found that even if you had bad health habits, like poor eating, smoking, alcohol abuse, obesity, whatever, but had strong relationship connections, they lived significantly longer than people who were isolated and who had healthy uh, eating habits. So this is the conclusion that I came from with this study. It's better to eat Twinkies with someone that you like than to eat broccoli alone, right? (laughs) I mean, everybody hates broccoli, right? I mean, not really, just me. Here's another study. The American Medical Association, um, my wife is a part of that, and so she said, check this out, found out that people with stronger emotional connections were four times better at fighting the common cold than those who were isolated. The actual study, I don't know where they get these people from, but they actually gave them the cold. I don't know why they decided to do this, but they did. And uh, they gave them, and they found out that people who were isolated were four times more likely having a difficult time of fighting it. In fact, the people who were connected had less mucus and snot buildup in their life. And so I came up with another conclusion. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people, right? (laughs) Literal, true fact. Now, I believe what these studies show are, at a biological level, what we've known and what the Bible has said all along. And it's this. We were created for community. That's kind of our first big idea. You were created for community. I was created for community. You were made for relationships. To love and be loved. To know and be known. To serve and be served. To celebrate and be celebrated as a person. And to miss out on this, folks, is to miss out on the reason why God made you to begin with. I mean, whatever you achieve, whatever amount of money you make, no matter how much stuff you pile up in your life, no matter how much you go up the corporate ladder of success, you miss out on this relationship piece, and you miss out on the whole reason why God made you. You were created for community. You know, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, there is a song that God gives to creation. It's a phrase that occurs over and over again, and this is what it says God said it was so, and God saw it was good. In fact, if you look at the Bible, it says this At the beginning of creation, the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light. And it was so. There was light, and God saw the light was good. And God said, let there be living beings. And it was so. The earth, brought, the earth brought forth the living beings, and God saw that it was good. And so there's kind of this song of creation, when God first created the earth, that says, God said it was so, and God saw that it was good. God said it, it was so, and God saw it was good. God created everything good and He looked at it and it was beautiful and delightful in His eyes. But on the sixth day, when God created man, created human beings in His own image, all of a a sudden, the song comes to a screeching halt. And what happens is, is that God looks at man and He says, not good. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. God looked at man who He had created and He said, not good. Now why do you think God said this? Is it because He likes women more than He likes men? Don't shake your head to that. The correct answer, biblically, is no. But what God is focusing on is the extreme importance that He places on relationships. You see, the Bible shows us that inside of every single human being, there is a God-shaped void. In every single person here, in every single person in the world, in every single person who's ever been created, there is a place that only God can fit. No relationship, no person, no hobby, no anything can fill that void except God. There's inside of every single one of us a God-shaped vacuum that nothing can fill. Only God can. And it's only when you're connecting and serving and living and learning to love Him that that gets filled. And today there's eight people who will be baptized and they're saying in a real way, you know what, there was a void in my life and I only know that for that void to be filled, I've got to give my life to Christ. And it's just as true in Genesis and throughout the Bible that there is a human-shaped void. There's a void in each one of your lives that only another human being, a relationship, can fill. I mean, there is no substitute, folks, for human relationships and community. Not a book, not achievement, not business, no amount of money can fill this void. Oprah can't do it. Dr. Phil can't do it. Nothing on television can do it. Because God said, being alone in this thing called life is not good. Community and relationships with God is what you were made for. That's why God made us, to have a relationship. Relationship in such a way that it brings health and joy and significance to our life. But it won't happen automatically. You know, you can't just read a book lay down and all of a sudden all these relationships just start flooding into your life. All these healthy things. Anybody know what this... uh, Anybody know what that stands for? (laughs) Some of you aren't very smart this morning, are you? Okay. You're going, no, Bunch doesn't have one. Okay, this is called... Intelligence, and I practice the spelling, quotient. And what it basically does is it, you know, lets you know how smart you are, how intelligent you are. In fact, uh, you know, uh, make sure you vote on Tuesday, but you can go online now and you can see if you're smarter than McCain or Obama. You know, you get on there and whatever theirs is, and maybe in four years we'll all say we're smarter, I don't know. But uh, that's IQ. But you know what? That's not what's most important. This is what's even more important. Anybody know what that stands for? Relationship quotient. Did I spell it wrong? What are you looking at? Don't don't say anything over in this section, all right? This section I'm going to focus on, because you are loving people uh, over here. You have good relational skills. Over here, not so much. Over here, good. You in the middle, you're all right. You know, don't get on my bad side, though, okay? No, relational quotient. And what this says is how intelligent are you, how good are you at creating healthy relationships in your life? Are you connected? Are you compassionate? And this is kind of the second big idea. You were created for a high relational quotient. A high relational IQ. That's why you were created. for To enjoy a high relational IQ. Now let me kind of give you an example of the difference between intellectual intelligence and relational intelligence. Okay? As far as I know, this story is true. Two guys were taking a uh, taking chemistry at the University of Alabama, and they were so confident going into their final exams when they'd be tested about everything that two days before, they decided to go to the University of Tennessee to go partying. However, they stayed out too long, they overslept, the morning of the exam came, and they weren't there. And so they both called the professor and they told him, they said, hey, we were studying in Tennessee and we were on our way back and one of the tires, you know, blew. And we had to spend all our time fixing this tire. So the professor told them, well, uh, you know, no problem, you can make up that test uh, the following day. And the two guys were so relieved. So they got up, uh, you know, stayed up all night studying for the test Got ready for the next morning. They walked in, and the professor put them in two separate rooms for the test. They each walked in, they opened up their test booklet. First question breeze. Easy, they knew it. They're thinking, man, this is going to be great. And it was worth five points. Turn the page for the second question this is what it said just two words. Which tire? 95 points (laughs) now that's a professor who has a high RQ a high relational understanding these two guys went into the test thinking that all they needed was their IQ how intelligent they were and when they ran against this RQ relational They failed miserably. Now, some of you have a high RQ. You relate well with people. You're able to connect, manage your relationships, work on them, make sure that they're healthy. And others of you, you have a high IQ, but your RQ is really plummeting. And it seems like all the time you pick relationships that aren't very healthy and things aren't very good, and you go through life disconnected, isolated, and alone. So to give you a sense of where we're going to uh, go with this concept of relational uh, intelligence, I want to give all of us a quiz today. Now, you're not going to be in two separate rooms. We'll all be here together. But I'd like you to not raise your hand, but let's just see uh, what your answer is. And we'll put a couple scenarios on the board. Here's the first one. Relational IQ test. You are describing your childhood in detail to a person you've just met. His eyes are glazed over and he's inching away. So what do you do? How do you respond? Here we go, number one. Grab him by the elbow so you can't so he can't get away until you're done. That ever happened before? Someone grab you by the elbow and they want to keep you, right? Okay, here's the second one. Get real close to his face. People always listen to you if you get real close to their face. You know people in your life that don't have good personal space issues, and they're always like right up in your grill you know and they're all about you you know no thought of personal space here's the next one look for another listener whose lack of assertiveness will allow you to trap them more easily okay now none of these are very good IQ now we want to give you another scenario see how well you do with that okay and uh, it'll come up here's the scenario you want to form some character building soul satisfying Heart-shaping friendships. So, where do you look for those? Okay, number one, singles bars. Okay, number two, police reports. You know, you just go through the paper. Who's who? You know, they're available, right? Number three, Muncie mayor's office or the prosecutor's office. You know, all right, let's keep on going on that one. Uh, number four. You wait at home for an emotionally mature, honest, joy-filled stranger to knock on the door and offer you to become your friend for life. Now, we laugh at these things, but the reality is, people, that there are folks that are doing this. They're waiting for someone to just show up on the door and have relationship and community with over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a few core skills that have to do with relational intelligence. But this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at three relational decisions that you were created to make. You were created to make these three decisions. Here's the first one. You were created to invest large chunks of time to relational development. You were created to invest large chunks of time into relational development. Now, historically, wise people have always understood that you need large chunks of time to develop healthy relationships. We talk about it here at the JAR all the time. If you want to become healthier as a a person, you need to develop relationships with people around you. And we believe that authentic community is the best way to do that, where you have real people living in real community together. We talk about this a lot because the Bible does. In fact, one of the key verses of Scripture that we turn to as a church when we think about authentic community is this one in Acts 2. Jesus has died, rose again, and he gets ready to uh, ascend to heaven. And he leaves the 12 disciples and the rest who were there connecting with him to go out and to continue on his mission. And while they're meeting, this is what it says, every day they continued to meet. Or it could be translated, day after day, they continued to meet together. Now, typically, we just kind of gloss over a statement like that. But just think what was involved in that. They met together in church at the temple. They met together in their homes. They met to worship. They met to break bread. They met to do ministry. They met to work. They met to pray. They met to watch the Colts game. They met to connect with other people. They just continued to connect. And you know why they met to connect most of all? To get closer to God. Now some of you here at the jar, you've this might be your first time here. You walked in, you're like, hey man, I'm just checking this out. For others of you, you may have been visiting just, you know, the last few weeks. Others of you who have been at the jar for a while, but then you kind of drifted away, or you were at a church and you drifted away, and now you're kind of drifting back. And others of you, you've been here at the jar for a long time, you've been connected. But regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, new, drifted, or connected, You will notice that the key to all of those is community. And I'm telling you, folks, you need something outside of Sunday morning to stay connected to God. It's kind of like today. Many of you will have a big Sunday dinner. That's the only time you ate all week. What would happen? You'd be mean and nasty, and you'd come back Sunday like these people over here because they haven't ate. Now, for some of you who are new and you're like, I don't know about this, a good starting place would be Taste of Community. Tonight at 4 o'clock, you go and you hang out with a small group of people and you say, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. You'll have a wonderful meal. You'll be done before the Colts play. And you'll be able to connect in a small group and grow closer to folks. And it's only a four-week experience. So, like, if you get there and you go, man, I can't deal with these people, you've only got three more times to go, you know. And then you're done. But you might get there and you might say, man, I love this. This is what I've needed in my life. And for those of you who've been at the jar, you drifted in your back and you're kind of connecting, what I'd say to you is be in a small group. Just say right now, today, I'm going to go to the connection table. I'm going to bug them. I'm going to say my name is whatever. Here's my phone number. I want to be a part of a small group and we'll get you connected. And I'm telling you, you do this, folks, and you begin to grow deeper in your relationship with God and you grow deeper in your relationship with other people. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to get you connected to God and to get a bridge so you could get connected to people. And when you do this, what happens is your IQ, like, skyrockets. It goes off the chart because you're so healthy, because you're connecting with God and with other folks. You know, I often hear people say things like this you know, we really need to get together soon. Or, um, let's make sure that we get together to do lunch in a couple of weeks when things slow down. Or, let's get our kids together and let's have a play date together. It never happens. Good intentions, just not very high RQ. And do you know why that happens? Because of the pace of our life. I think probably the single greatest barrier to deep relationships, deep connectedness, is simply the pace of life. You see, what we want, we want that Acts 2 community where they met together and they loved each other and they connected with God. We just want to do it at a 21st century pace. We have cell phones and emails and pagers and instant messaging and chat, and some of you might be doing that right now. I don't know. And recently, I just bought this thing. It's supposed to organize my life. It's called a Blackberry. You know what you can do? If you're me, not much. But this thing is... You're supposed to be able to do everything. Basically, you don't have to talk to people anymore. You just get on this thing. Email. Text message. You get on the phone. This is Chris Bunch. You know, you can, like, program, do all kinds of stuff. And I mean, people literally... Uh, get into cyber communication with dozens of people they don't even know, but they think it's the healthiest relationship they've ever experienced. I'm telling you, you can have more. Because you can actually see a person if you're connected in a small group. And you know what? Relationally intelligent people understand that you can't do this in a hurry. That's a problem with the pace of our life. We think we can do things in a hurry. You can't microwave friendship in a hurry. You can't microwave raising kids. You can't microwave marital intimacy. You can't do the kinds of things that are required to have great relationships in a hurry. I've done this before myself. A person comes up, they have a need, they're struggling with something, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm listening in a hurry. You ever do that? Try to listen in a hurry? You try to uh, rejoice in a hurry. You can't do it. You can't mourn with people in a hurry. You've got to slow down and connect with them. And you know what else? You can't connect with only perfect people. That's all most of us want, right? The issue with me, Chris, is that the people around me, they're just not to my level. Like, if they were as perfect as I was, then I'd have healthy relationships, but they're not. You know what? You're a joke. Because there is no such thing as perfect people. We've all messed up, flubbed up, screwed up in this thing called life. No one's perfect. So what you have to do is you have to connect with imperfect people. Broken people. Because the reality is, folks, that's the only kind of people there are. Broken, imperfect folks. That's the only kind of people there are. I saw an article a few years ago in a magazine. It uh, caught my eye. It was on a magazine rack. I didn't read the article, but the title alone was, you know, enough for me. This is what it said. Totally normal woman who stalks their ex-boyfriend. And you know, the phrase that kind of you know, struck a chord with me was just those first two words. Totally normal woman who stalks their ex-boyfriend. And I was thinking, what would one of those look like? A totally normal woman, you know? Like I've never met one, a totally normal woman. And on the same side, I've never met a totally normal woman you know, guy. There is no such thing in the world. You see, none of us live the kind of life that God intended us to live. None of us speaks truth the way that God wants us to speak truth. None of us have the kind of life-giving, health-filled habits that God intended us to live out. None of us Have minds that think only good thoughts and pure and noble and honorable thoughts that God intended us to think. And none of us have mouths that speak what God intended us to speak. So this morning I just want to give you a doctrinal, theological truth. And this is really important. Maybe the most important thing here. And it's this. Everybody's weird. Everybody's weird. Every single person I know is weird. In fact, just so that if just in case you forget everything else today, that you don't forget this point that everybody's weird. I'd like you to turn to the person beside you and just tell them, everybody's weird, okay? Go ahead. Take a moment. You don't have to necessarily apply it to this person, okay? Just two words. You're like in another conversation there. Friends, everybody has brokenness. Everyone has habits that they wish they could break. Everybody has blind spots that they don't know about. Everyone has patterns. Everyone has secrets, skeletons in the closet. Everybody has fear. Everybody has pride. Everybody has junk that's in their life that hasn't been transformed yet. And if you're going to connect with people, you're going to have to connect with broken, dysfunctional, weird people. That's the only kind that there is. And you know what? It's going to take time. We want relationships so fast, but it takes time if you want them to be healthy. You know, when this year first started, one of the things that I noticed in my life was that all of the people I hung out with all looked like me. In other words, they were all white and they were all people that, uh, you know, were connected to me in some way. And so I started praying at the beginning of the year, God, would you please send somebody in my life who is a person of a different culture because I need to learn from people from other places, not people that just look like me. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And eventually... There was a uh, black businessman that uh, did some work for the church and, uh, you know, had different things that happened. And I started building a relationship with him. And we developed a friendship. And before too long, we started uh, going uh, to lunch about once a month. Now, from the outside, this looked like a really weird relationship. Here is me, okay? Scrawny, pale faced, white guy that is not, you know, very down and, uh, you know, really doesn't have much rhythm whatsoever. And he's weird. I'm weird. And here's this weird, big ball state football player, alumni, who is a businessman, and he's got rhythm, and he's down with a lot of things. Like, I just learned that this year. I, if you want to be down, you've got to get outside your culture. Because you're not, you white people, see look, now I'm merely acting right, you white people just aren't down sometimes. And so we got down together. We've eaten at Applebee's, Chili's, Red Lobster. And usually what happens is he pays one time and I pay the next. And next time it's my turn. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. I need to do something that really is significant and really, you know, takes him out to eat somewhere that he'll never forget and just honors him. And so I'm taking him to McDonald's next time, you know. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, Burger King. I don't know. But, you know... We just have a lot of fun together. I don't know him very well. He doesn't know me very well. But man, we, we really share. And we tell jokes and we have fun and we, we eat like men when your wives aren't around. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like we just eat, you know? And we enjoy it together. And you know the biggest thing is we share our hearts. We really do. We share our hearts in a deeper way. And... Uh, He sent me an email not too long ago and we were talking about you know our our new relationship and and he said, you know what, man? He goes, I think we are brothers from another mother. You know? (laughs) Or father. You know, that might be. And I thought about that, you know? Some of you, you know what the biggest thing you could do? And and just because I've really been convicted that our community, that if our churches look more like it should. That, you know, why don't you just walk across the room and engage with someone who's different than you? It might be the greatest gift of relationship you'll ever have in your life. Now, I'm not asking all of you to leave and go find the next poor you know, African-American person and go up and say, I want to be your friend. And I'd like to start going out to eat once a month. I don't, I'm not saying do that. If you do do that, just tell them, you know, I'm from the bridge or I'm from the Presbyterian church or, you know, something like that. Now, I'm not asking you to go and invest in that kind of friendship, but some of you have friendships already of people that you know, but you don't really know. Why not just say, you know what, I want to increase my RQ and so I'm going to build some relationships with folks. So I'm just wondering this week, would you walk across the room? Would you reach out to a friend? Would you say, you know what, I'm going to go a little bit deeper with one person in my life. Maybe that person's here. But one person that you say, I'm just going to do it deeper. I'll tell you, it won't happen automatically. You have to initiate it. You really do. Here's the second decision most relationally intelligent people make. And it's that they learn to overcome the fear of rejection, the fear of being hurt. Now, this is kind of a strange thing because it seems like such a uh, like little kitty fear. You know? Why would you be fearful? You know, you're 37 years old. That's how old I am. Why are you fearful of being rejected anymore? I mean, most of us don't want to admit it, but the biggest barriers to relationship is the fear of rejection. We'd rather just play it safe and just kind of stay safe. I mean, what if I invite somebody to lunch and they don't want to come? What if I try to organize a group of people at work, and no one wants to be a part of it? What if I take this taste of community tonight, or a small group, and I just kind of feel like I'm always the outsider looking in? And it's kind of a funny deal. It's like we're little kids that never have really ever grown up. I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know what, it was so much easier in junior high, right? I mean, in junior high, if uh, you liked someone, especially if it was a person of the opposite sex, and you wondered how they felt about you, you didn't go up to them and, you know, actually ask them. I mean, that was too scary, and that wasn't junior high etiquette. But if you're in junior high, what you would do is you would get one of your friends to take the note that you had, and you would go take it to the person. And the note would look like this. Do you like me? Choose one. You know, check. Yes, no, or maybe. And it's pretty straightforward in junior high. You just send out the note, and you find out. Now, of course, we're too big and sophisticated to send notes like that anymore. I mean, I doubt if anyone this week will get a, you know, a note from somebody that has it like that. You know, Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. Please you know, mail it back. But you know what i found? That in the midst of conversations with people that I have, because I've had these thoughts, that just below the conversation is that question... Do you like me? Do you want to be my friend? And those are scary questions to ask. Do you like me? Do you want to be my friend? And we often avoid those questions because it's so much easier to do. It's a lot easier to say things like this. I'm too busy for people. I don't have time for any more relationships. I don't want to go to that party because those people bore me. It's easier to say things than to really tell the truth, which is this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid if I trust again, I will get hurt. I'm afraid that if I open up myself a little bit, that the pain will be too great. And the truth is, in our rock-climbing, bungee-cord-jumping, car-surfing society, the reason why many people live in relationally shallow waters it's because of fear. And I just want to tell you this morning that if you want to live a low-risk, pain-free kind of life with your relationship world, you chose the wrong species. You chose the wrong planet. If you take a risk, you will have pain. If you take a risk, you will be hurt. I didn't say you might be hurt. You will be hurt. But if you never take a risk, folks, you'll never experience love. You might have the most protected, safe heart in your life. Unbroken, undisturbed. But you know what happens, and I see them because I've buried people before. They do that, and they live their life like that, and their heart gets harder and colder and colder and harder until finally they die. When you open your heart and you accept another person, you have no idea what the power of acceptance can do to another human being. Rick Lavoie was an educator in Greenwich, Connecticut, and this is what he writes. He says, Greenwich is a wonderful town populated by many movers and shakers in our society. There's a sense of comparison that often pervades this town, and this sense of community is often sacrificed at the altar of competition he said one day i was eating at a pizza parlor in our town uh, with my five-year-old son and as we sat there i couldn't help overhearing the conversation of three teenage boys that were just right behind me in a booth they were dressed in tennis clothes and they had just returned from a morning at the exclusive tennis club two of the boys were discussing the faults and flaws of another boy not in attendance They criticized his style, his play, his appearance, every aspect about his personality. The boy obviously suffered tremendous social isolation and rejection. They laughed as they recited the stories about his failures. At this point, one of the boys turned to the third boy who had been silent during this discussion and said, None of us wants to ever play again with Mike. He's such a loser. Nobody likes Mike. Nobody will play with him. Why do you play with him? And the third boy responded, that's exactly why I play with him. And Rick writes, I looked over my shoulder at this courageous young man, and I looked at my own son. My fondest hope was that one day he would develop the strength and the character and the courage that that boy possessed. I hope that that young man's father knows how proud he is of his son. Do you have any idea what the power of acceptance does with other people when you accept them hook, line, and sinker? I mean, whether you consider yourself high on the status level of the ladder or low, you have no idea what the power of walking across the room and accepting another person and building relationship does for them. And that's why we're here at the JAR. Our mission has always been to raise the acceptance level higher than anything else. Does it get messy? Absolutely. But we just said, we're going to love our community into a relationship with Jesus Christ because we'll walk across rooms to love people. Because here, everybody belongs. And my homework assignment for you this week is that there is a vision statement in your program. Don't look at it now, but take it home and read it and say, you know what, that's where my heart is. I want to be a part of this vision. Well, here's the last thing. Relationally intelligent people make this decision. They initiate and pursue relational development in this thing called life. Now, this is really, really important because there are many people that I talk to and what they have is frustrations. Frustration in this area of their life because they have words that say things like this. How come I always have to be the first one to make the call? Why can't they ever call me first? How come I always have to be the one to make the first move towards somebody else? Why can't they move towards me? How come I have to be the one to invite other people? Why can't I be on the invitation list first? I'm tired of doing it. Let somebody else do it first. Anybody ever feel that way before just by a sign of hands? Those of you that didn't raise your hands, you're liars. We know that. The reality is, folks, everybody here's felt that way before. I feel that way. It's just a universal deal. There's a universal frustration inside of everybody that wishes somebody else would take that first step towards me. And if you really want to move away from relational death, relationally intelligent people realize that you've got to get beyond that temptation and you just have to take the risk. You know, taking the first step in any relationship is not easy. But it's worth it. It's so worth it because that's why you were made. Three years ago, I met a guy by the name of Jim who was an extremely intelligent man. He was an engineer. He had created many different uh, tools to help with the production of the factory that he worked in. And the company he worked for, they loved him. I mean, they couldn't sing enough praises. He just continued to kind of go up the ladder, raise after raise. And you know why? Because he had saved them over a million dollars. Now, Jim was kind of a tough guy. He didn't allow a whole bunch of people into his relational world. Also, he didn't have much of a relationship with God. I mean, God was kind of on the radar screen when Jim looked at the radar. Otherwise, you know, it wasn't there. But one day... Jim got blindsided because he was diagnosed with renal carcinoma. Cancer of the kidney. They took the can- cancer out. Then they found out that it spread to his lungs. Seven months he battled with this. And in those seven months, he didn't win the battle of cancer, but he learned about the power of relationship. He began a relationship with God for the first time really in his life. And he started building healthy relationships with the people around him. One of those relationships was me. He became my friend. I buried him seven months after I met him. And you know, the thing that I learned was, he was very intelligent, brilliant, saved this company millions of dollars. His knowledge, his accomplishments, all of those things were there. And the more that I got to know him, he he would often just tell me, Chris, if I could have done it again, I would have given up all of that. To have more time with my family, more time with God, more time connecting in relationships. I remember talking to his wife one time, and they had been married 24 years, and she said, I just wish we would have started earlier. Best seven months of their life. But it came in the last seven. I saw his love for his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandson just kind of build. And for Christ and the church. And he had often come in here just exhausted from the chemo and the radiation. But he was here. And like I said, he lost the battle to cancer. But the power that he won, folks, was the power of relationships. And he learned the power of love. And that's what he told me. Some of his last words was, you know what, Chris? I learned about love. Relationally intelligent people understand that when it comes right down to it, folks, it's all about love. Jesus said this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the real key to this whole thing called life is loving God and loving people. I mean, you get those two things right. I don't care whatever else you mess up in this thing called life. You get that right. And you win. You get that wrong. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how many accomplishments you have. I don't care how big your house is, what kind of car you drive. You get that wrong and you lose. Love God. Love people. You can do that this week. Between now and the time that we meet, you can say, you know what, I'm just going to love somebody. I'm going to accept somebody. For some of you, it might be taking a member of your family member out and don't take him to McDonald's, but you don't take them to their favorite place and say, I'm going to do that. For others of you, it might be expressing love to a coworker or a neighbor or somebody just to let them know that, you know what, someone cares about you. And there's some of you right now that you've been holding a grudge and resentment towards somebody in your family for a long time. I just want to tell you, stop it. Stop it today. Just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Relationships are too valuable to just let it go. And you know, for some of you, it might be that when you leave from the parking lot today, you might just let somebody else, you know, go in front of you and just wave at them with all five fingers. <laughs> and tonight, before you go to bed, this is what I, and I really ask you to do this before you go to bed tonight, just get on your knees beside your bed. And look to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And just ask him, do you like me? And just wait and listen for a little bit. Because he does. He's head over hills in love with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants the relationships in your life to be healthy. Remember, folks, life is way too short. You could find out tomorrow you have cancer. You could be driving down a road and someone misses a stop sign. You could have your child taken away from you in that moment. Don't wait to make relationships the key of your life, starting with God and the people around you. There are eight people today who have said that they want to make Jesus the top spot relationship in their life as they come to be baptized. And so I'd invite those eight people to come, and uh, we'll share their vows, and then we'll be dismissed. You You can turn that way if you want, but... They're scary, believe me. Especially that section over there. Well, this is a good group of folks. And uh, today, you have come to say that Jesus is the top spot in my life. doesn't mean that you say, we've got it all together. And what I want everyone to know is that baptism is not the end point. It's not saying, man, I arrived. I know everything now. It's saying... I don't know much of anything, but the one thing I know is that God-shaped void in my life, only He can fill. And so I'm going to say, You're Lord of my life, and I'll obey you in the things that I can. And that's what you guys are doing today. Saying, you know what? That God-shaped void, I'm ready to have it filled. And one of the ways that we do that as a church is we uh, commit to some vows. They're your vows as individuals to God. And I would invite you to just affirm those. for me now. Do you believe that Jesus...